Welcome to Hope and Heresy, Life on the Religious Left, where we wrestle with contemporary issues using history and theology as our guides. Our task is to reclaim religion for everyday people who want to live meaningfully without letting arbitrary doctrine or oppressive religious practice prevent us from asking big questions about our complicated world. I'm Reverend Sarah Lindsay. And I'm Reverend Peggy Clark, and we're Unitarian Universalist Ministers broadcasting from Community Church of New York here in New York City. back. I think, is this episode three? I think it's episode three of season two. And we are recording on the Friday before election day. So the whole country is in a state of suspended animation. We're just all waiting. I almost feel like nothing else is happening. Maybe this is my no, that's definitely true. I, the number of times I've heard somebody say, well, let's let's wait till after the election. Nobody's going to be able to focus. Nobody's. And it's true. I think suspended animation, I would also say heightened anxiety. Mm. Yep. Yep. It feels like a sort of this hyper-American, you know, everybody is, is aware of our country and how things work and our government in a way that we probably aren't usually. Yeah. I know you and I were talking about... Um, what does it really mean, right? To what is this moment really doing for us? Because people are so nervous about it. I mean, I'm nervous about it. <clears throat> I mean, I really feel like we're we're looking at, you know, does this country move forward or does this country move backward? I, I'm honestly even wondering: Are we dismantling this country altogether? Right? Are we just? Um, are we saying that none of the rules really matter and that it's, you know, it's okay if the president breaks the law over and over and over again? And what is it, what are the implications for what's going to happen next? So I think that's, that's interesting because um, I feel like I've been having my conversation for four years with a lot of folks, right? For the last four years, I feel like in my congregation and among my peers, we've been talking about what, what is happening, right? Like where are we as a nation, what are we doing, right? Are we, if things progress as they've been, right? We're like sort of essentially walking towards fascism if we aren't already halfway there, um, dismantling the dream of America such as it is, right? And that's that's really, I think what we're, um, we're sort of playing around in our, in our minds today is this question of what is the dream of America? Where does it come from? Why do we keep pursuing it? Is it even possible to realize such a dream as this? Um, because I think that for, for me, at least that is exactly what's alive and at stake right now, right? It's like, it's, I mean, people keep saying Biden said it too, like the soul of America, right? Like, who are we? But it's, and it sounds a little, I'm making funny gestures because it sounds a little absurd. And yet it really is the question, right? Like, it, <coughs> excuse me, it really is the question of the hour. Who are we and who do we want to be? Well, and I think that, I mean, I'm going to say something a little political here, but I actually think Biden Biden doesn't necessarily move us forward so much. And no, at least he, he stops saves the from the brink. Yeah, <laughs> he brings us back from the brink. I'm not, believe me, I'm not like on the Biden train. I mean, I'm on the Biden train. Right, but right. I, he would not have been my first choice. I can say that. He would not have right. been my first choice. Um, because I would be pushing much harder to an even more progressive liberal agenda, right? Right. Um, 
but he saves us from the brink and you know points the ship back towards the founder's original ideals uh, which in and of themselves were complicated right well i think that you know when this country was originally founded and really around the time of writing all those documents and all those people we think of as the the founding fathers there was they were imagining something that was really glorious and they created something right they articulated something and they they institutionalized something that was brand new and and in some way was um it was a dream and they thought that they were creating it and it was going to happen like in their lifetimes that they were making this and i think they didn't realize that that it was going to take many generations that we would have to keep unfolding and unpacking the dream that they were articulating i mean they themselves or you were talking about about your son and maybe you can tell us the story they themselves weren't able to embody the very values that they were articulating yeah, so Peggy, Peggy's referring to um, just this week, I was driving um, my oldest child to school. He's in fourth grade. And we were talking about Halloween and he was he was Lafayette last year because um, he loves Hamilton, right? Um, and so somehow Madison came up and he was kind of like, boo, Madison, boo, Jefferson. And I was like, well, Jefferson did write the Declaration of Independence. And he was like, oh, well then yay, Jefferson. And I was like, but Jefferson did have slaves and like coerced a woman into her, you know? So, I mean, I didn't use the word rape with my fourth grader, but that's essentially what we're talking about, right? If we're real about this. Um, so I just like, it, it is so complicated, right? I loved Jefferson as a kid, right? I read like biography after biography and they were honest biographies. And I like sort of could see where he was like a bad guy too. But the ideals that he espoused, I, I just like felt so like, amazing right and the problem is yeah like they had this notion and you could say if you were trying to be generous right you can say they were constrained by their time and their culture and their space but that's like a cop-out right because in truth i cannot believe that jefferson as smart as he was did not know right like he knew and and so there's this piece that's about it's the it's the America hand in hand like the the ideals of the of the Declaration of the Constitution, and then the like American greed that kind of like was born at the beginning with it right like I have these ideals but I'm not going to change my life in order to make them true for everyone right I'm I'm only going to make them true for me and my cronies. I'm not sure that they that they even saw everyone. I mean their their idea of of we right, all men are created equal. I think that they really believed that that, that sentence embodied everyone. And in some way it was, it was radical, and not in some way, in a lot of ways, it was a really radical statement, right? Because the, the hierarchy around class was um, fixed in, a, in too many ways. So the idea that we are equal, that you and I are equal regardless of our birth, regardless of land ownership, right? That, that we are somehow, we have the same requirements and the same rights and that we should all be afforded you know, the right to pursue life, liberty, and the, the pursuit of happiness, that that is for all of us. What they didn't know is that they didn't see so many other people. They didn't see women, right? <laughs> just off the, just, you know, 
right there. They just didn't see women. They didn't see, they didn't see the African slaves. They didn't see anyone who wasn't white and, and Christian. Yeah, so, it, but that's an interesting, it's, it's interesting, right? How accountable do you hold people for not seeing, right? Because like I, so, so all the time, right, you and I, we're not super necessarily committed to the scriptures in the way of people who believe that it's the word of God, right? So we look at the scriptures and we contextualize it in its time and we sort of go, well, they wrote it this way because this was the world they lived in and like, but this question of like, is, does that, does that mean that then you take it for what it is? Or does that mean that you adapt the text to the new times? Like, I guess, I guess it's just, I, and I clearly, I like angst about this, right? Like I loved Jefferson and Jefferson, like, should we be, no, we shouldn't be, but like this question of like monuments coming down and stuff, and I'm all for it. Right. But like, um, you know, our founding fathers were slave owners, right? Like, what does that, mean what does that mean for what they wrote and what they imagined right we can say what you said which is they just didn't see them and that the whole american project in some way is you know a widening of the circle a widening of the vision a, a, a bringing in right over and over whether it's enslaved people women lgbtq folks it's just it's a constant project of ever widening right um that may be one way to frame like what is the american project maybe well for me it feels like like they were the people who had the vision and every generation since then we are the people who are trying to create the vision right Shirley Chisholm once said something like I am in love with the dream of America it, it it's not what they envision has never been realized. So we're in this place of, for each generation of unpacking, right? We're, we're, that's what we're doing. We keep building toward what they declared to be true. And an important part of that is, is becoming expansive, mm -hmm. right? Their idea was really constrictive and I, I feel it in the country right now, we're constricting again. We're like pulling, pulling closer and closer. When the, the project, the experiment was really about being expansive, about like how far can you stretch and pull people in? I think that's a Unitarian Universalist project also. Like we're pulling people to, and, and we don't know. I mean, when I expand my arms, I don't know who's right beyond my fingertips. I mean, I mean, I can give you a list of all the people who say Jefferson forgot and, and who, you know, over time we have started, you know, we've been including, but I am sure that there are people I haven't even considered it. 10 years ago, I don't know that transgender would have been even in my, maybe not 10 years ago, but even in my, my idea, right, of who is at the fingertips, who's really out at the margins there. So we are like, you know, so I think that's an important part of the project. I also think that they had, that they sort of kicked us off with um, this really gorgeous, optimistic vision of what was possible. And given where they were, 
By the way, my son's favorite character in Hamilton is King George. Just <laughs> but but given where they were, right? Given King George, given given all of it, given the racism and the sexism, or given the 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 medieval structures that they were trying to dismantle and move away from, given what they understood about science and that that human capacity was so much greater than they had before imagined. And that the shift from being, from sort of this magical thinking, God creates everything into there are principles and laws of science we can actually understand and manipulate, use to our advantage, that shift to the human center, right? I think therefore I am, the shift to the eye created a really different way of being in the world and their sense, their optimism about that, their, their belief that human beings can in fact create something that, that is expansive, that is um, inclusive, that we can dismantle the old and create something new. That optimism, I think, continues to define us. I think we still live with the legacy of believing we can be more than we are. With the legacy of believing we can be more than we are in a good way? Like we yeah. live with optimistic vision of like, we can be something better in the future. Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, while they may have believed that they were articulating it and creating it and that, that see, here we are. What we're living with is the idea that, that even if we're not there yet, we will get there. That this is progressive, that it's not, um, it isn't static we're in a dynamic creation of who we're becoming as a country. So I, there's two things that are occurring to me um, and I'm gonna throw them out there and we can sort of see where we wanna go with it. But the first is that I think there really is though a shadow side to that. Like what you just described is this sort of enlightenment, like in sense of the individual and the capacity of the human and like, but the shadow side of that is the like focus on the individual instead of on the community, right? That like, when you're so focused on like, what am I capable of, that you sort of even forget to, to realize that there's something beyond your reach, right? Whether that's the people you're trying to include, or that's like the wonder of existence that is beyond your control and grasp, right? That like, something is lost when the focus becomes so much on like human progress and human ability and individual, right? Like, so that's that's one thing that it occurred to me as you were talking, right? Because I think that there is a way that that is part of what defines American, like pull yourself up by your bootstraps, we're gonna go West. Like there's all this sort of like American conquering and moving forward and it has to always be about, and we've talked about this before, right? It always has to be on progress and it always has to be innovation. And like, it's never like, Let's talk about community. Let's talk about like, and, and yet at the same time, those ideals are there, right? The community ideals are there. Um, so I don't know, I, I sort of, I go into that place of like everything has its shadow side, right? And, and that's, this is sort of the shadow side of the American, what we're seeing now in some ways, I think is the shadow side of the American project. And that, and that brings me to the other thing that, that I've been thinking about as we've been talking, which is you and I from our liberal, religious, progressive perspective, understand 
we, we can sit here and go, what these guys meant when they wrote was, was constrained by time. And, and, and they meant though, this grand and lofty ideal. And, and I love the, like, I'm going to stretch my hands and what's beyond like, like that we can sit here and go, that's the project. The project is the ever including ever widening arms, like go, go gadget arms as far as you can. Right. Like, and we know because of the last four years, if not the last 200, that there are plenty of people for whom that is not the project in America, right? There are plenty of people for whom the project, at least like, let's say right now, is let's go back to that time when I didn't have to share a water fountain, or let's go back to that time when I, the middle-class white person, was on the top of the heap, right? And, and it's like, it's totally weird and misguided way of trying to go back, right? Like it's misguided on many, many levels, but like the reality is not everybody understands those founding documents the way you and I do, or not everybody, maybe it's that not everybody sees differently than Jefferson, right? Like if we're saying that Jefferson and those guys, they just didn't see those folks, there are still a lot of Americans who don't see those folks or don't care to, right? So I guess the question then is, are we trying to, is, is the experiment um, literally as it was articulated, right? It, it is only for this group of people or is it about um, embodying it over time with new understandings? And I would argue that the people, not all of them, but a lot of the people right now who think that no, this really is about white men, that they weren't white. They weren't considered white at the time. Yes, and or, you know, I've, I've always found it fascinating when people who's like, um, you know, people who are accepted sort of culturally as white folks, but whose, you know, European ancestors came a generation or two ago, right? So like relatively new, um, and I have relatives like this, um, and who are like, we should close the borders. Nobody, nobody, those are immigrants. And I'm like, where do you think you came from, right? Like, so I agree with you that, that this is part of the misguided piece, right? Like a lot of the folks being like, let's go back to the glory days. They didn't have, theirs were not the glory days, right? Like they were not the wealthy landowning white men, right? They They would have been in some ways, you know, the the working class, whatever. Like I just, so I agree with you. And yet there is this like, um, this thing that gets pushed of like, if you're a patriot, if you're, you know, this is what you believe about America. And it's some sort of like 1950s, immediately post-war, like, what is it? The Cleavers, did I ever, what, what was that show? Leave it to Beaver. Yeah, leave it to be like some sort of like the wifey stays at home and the man goes to like, I, there's some sort of vision of like middle-class white America that people are trying to hang on to um, that doesn't, that for you and me doesn't resonate, right? And doesn't make any sense. Um, but I think that's the, that's the tension of this moment, right? Is do you believe that it's the every time, every moment we are reassessing that lofty vision and pushing it and renewing it and recommitting to it in our context? Or are we like strict constructionists and we're like, this is what they said and meant, this is how it was then, this is how it must be now, right? It makes me think of the Supreme Court, right? And like, I'm thinking the same thing. 
because that's but that's exactly because it's because it is right it's all of a piece right like do i look at the constitution and i do right i've got that strict constructionist thing right right um and i interpret it as like it was written this way this is what it meant this is how it goes or do i think of it as a living document that gets you know adapted and reinterpreted over time through lived experience and also p.s we can map that right onto like liberal religion right do I view the Bible as static and how it should be all time? Or do I reinterpret it as a living document that gets adapted and evolves for our time and our living, right? All of these things can layer right on each other. Do you remember that there's like that panel of theologians like Marcus Borg and I'm trying to remember who was on it and they did that like Jesus, historical Jesus, like reconstructing the historical Jesus. And they did it over a long time five years ten years i can't remember and this project right jesus project right something and and the the idea was like go back and figure out exactly like what was the historical time exactly what was happening what was this said in response to or the larger historical context and it was seen as really radical but their idea was the same as what's happening the question is is the same, right? Do we just take the text as it's written or do we understand it in, a di in its context so that we can interpret it for our time? And that does feel like the tension on the Supreme Court. It feels like a tension in scripture and, and, and in this American experiment in what American life really is. Is it, are we trying to create something? Are we using kind of inspiration or are we trying to recreate exactly what was at another time? Which to me seems completely bizarre because how could you possibly? And if frankly, any of those people who wanted to recreate it understood what it was, they would know that they weren't included in it. Or, or frankly, that it was not as nice as it sounds, right? Like whenever, you know, there was that moment in time when like, people would respond to like um, anti, a sort of anti-homosexual um, Bible rhetoric with like, well, if you believe that, then you shouldn't be eating whatever, or you should be like fasting every day or like people would sort of point back and go, well, if you're gonna be literal, then you've got to take the whole thing literally and do. And, and that's kind of right, right? Like if you're gonna be literal, you gotta be literal. Um, and so I think it's, you know, this question of how do we take something written hundreds of years ago make it real and alive for everyone and make sure that it is constantly renewed and recommitted to, right? How do we not make an idol of like a moment in time? Um, and I love, I think, and I think it goes back to what you said at the beginning, Peggy, in many ways, which is like, if we think that the founders thought of themselves as like channeling some forever after word of God, like don't mess with this thing, then that's one thing. But if we thought of them as men who had dreams of what was possible, that allows us to look at it in a different way, right? And understand it and use it in a different way. Yeah. I also think that some of this divide is between people who who actually have the information and people who who only have an imagination, right? That I think we we imagine something and what 
we all know is where where we are right now isn't good enough. And some people imagine that it was good enough somewhere in the past and and they just don't know. They they I often think the difference right now between Republican and Democrat is or Biden Trump is people who know what's really happening and people who don't really know and are living in in the hopes of something rather than in solid information. Well, but I, I also think um, you sort of said there too, the difference between being able to imagine something else. So there's, right, there's a really big difference between let's go back and let's step into the unknown, right? And, and so I think part of what gets wrapped up in it is not just what we know or don't know, but our capacity to imagine and also our um, willingness to change, right? Because change is really hard. I mean, because I, when I think about this idea about going back, right, I think about that Langston Hughes poem, like, let America be America again, right? Which is basically actually says, because America was never America for most of us, right? So this idea that like, how do we imagine and envision a dream for the future and step into it not afraid? Because I think some of it is about fear, right? Some of it is fear of change, some of it is fear of being lost or becoming the one who's unseen. I'm not justifying any of it. I'm just saying, you know, I think wrapped up in it um, is a lot of complicated stuff. It's a weird moment. It is a weird moment. And I know that um, we weren't necessarily going to end with um, with a moment of action or a moment of hope, but I, but I want you anyway, <laughs> okay. because I think that um, I think that for the American experiment to work, we really have to be engaged. It, it, we can't just allow government to make all of the decisions or people with money and power, that what makes the American experiment successful is that average people are the real power. But we are only the power if we decide we are. We, we shrink back so much. And I think that our moment of action really needs to be about engaging, right? If you're someone who doesn't really know, commit to something like reading the newspaper every day, you know, pick one, the New York Times, Washington Post, pick a paper and read it and, and become someone who knows. I like that. I like that um, as a moment of action. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking about, because um, now my mind is stuck back with like some views, um, but I'm thinking about um, this question of um, patriotism. And so this idea of like, and, and our, our producer Amy sort of brought this up with us. And I think it's really important though, right? Because so often patriotism gets shoved at us as like respect the flag or like, you know, be pro-war or like it comes in all these funny forms, right? And for me, when I think about it, because like, I still love Jefferson a little bit, right? And like, I hate America, but I also still love America, right? So like, because I hate the America that's been and I love the America that could be, right? And I think that actually 
is patriotism, right? Is being able to say, here's what's wrong and I love you anyway. And I love this vision and I'm visioning with you. And so, yeah, like for me, I guess the moment of hope is like, you don't, we don't have to give up on the project. Like the, the, the progress has been glacial <laughs> for, many, for many folks, right? It has taken a long time. It should, in some ways in my heart, I think it should not have taken this long to get a lot of the things done that were like slowly getting done, right? To wrap as these, everyone in, right? Is taking too long, but it's happening and it can still happen. And so I just think that like, the sort of, for me, the hope is we don't have to throw it all away, right? I can teach my son to hate parts of who Jefferson was and I can teach him to love parts of what Jefferson envisioned for the world, right? Like you can, you can it's tense, but you can hold those things together, right? So you can be a patriot and still be mad as hell, right? And that's hopeful. Even that right there, you can be Langston Hughes and still being like America has potential, you know? Like that's a hopeful thing. I was listening to someone talking about what has happened um, in the international conversation around kind of Trump in the last four years. And, and so much of that was that leaders, but just average people in other countries watching us struggle so badly and, and their experience of losing hope. And it occurs to me that we, this country has become a symbol of what's possible. Mm-hmm. And as they watch to see, can, can that you know, great and powerful country overthrow fascism? without war, right, peacefully? Can they simply move the authoritarian dictator out and move somebody else in as part of their system? That's an incredible sign of hope for people. Our experiment has defined for people around the world what is really possible. I think what'll be really interesting though is that it, it, it won't be just, it won't be enough to just do that, right? It isn't enough if on November 4th, we wake up and it's clear or 10th or whatever it turns out to be after all the ballots are counted on whatever day and Biden has won and you know the military escorts Trump out of the White House like I, and, and it's all peaceful. That won't be enough because this whole thing has exposed more and more breaks in the system. So for me, the real test will be, do we then have the strength and the hope and the purpose to rewrite what we need to rewrite to prevent future creeping fascism, right? And to and to open the circle even wider. And like, are we gonna be able to rewrite our, you know, asylum policies and immigration policies to be inclusive and open and like coming from a place of, you know, community and compassion? Like for me, that's the test is do we, have we learned anything from this? And are we gonna be able to put in place and stop looking at everything as static and put in place new things that that really reach for that dream. You know what, Sarah? That sounds like next week's topic. <laughs> I guess I will check in after the election, folks. That's right. We'll find out. Stay tuned. <laughs> Listeners around the world wish us luck. Yeah, it'll be it'll be an interesting week here in America. All right. Nice to talk to you, Peggy. You too. See you <laughs> next week. <laughs> Bye.